Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 10. Now, I'm going to look at a number of passages tonight. So we will be looking at quite a few scriptures in both the Old and the New Testament. Okay, so you have to keep up with me if you can do that. In John chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The, uh, my message tonight is on the abundant life or abounding in Christ. And I'll give you my outline now. One, provision. Two, expression. And three, application. So write that down. One, provision. Two, expression. Three, application. Number one, provision. The scriptures tell us that the believer is complete in Jesus Christ. Complete in Jesus Christ. We are told in Peter that we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need. In Proverbs 8, there's a beautiful passage, you can turn there, where wisdom is speaking. Wisdom, of course, is a personification of the Lord. And in in Proverbs, did I say 8? I meant 9. It's really 8 and 9. But in, in, in Proverbs 9, wisdom, it says this. It says, Wisdom, nine one, has built her house. She has hewn, hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She's also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens, and she cries out from the highest places of the city, Quote, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. And of course, if you read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, we see that wisdom, which is here uh, a her, is in contrast to the immoral woman, which is talked about so much in the early chapters of Proverbs. But what I want you to see is in verse 5, there is an invitation to come, eat my bread, drink the wine that I have mixed. Notice here that wisdom has prepared everything. In other words, everything is already ready. Already. The house, the pillars, the meat, the wine, the table, everything is set. There is a great feast, and we are then invited to come and partake of that feast. Look at Isaiah 55. We see the Lord uh, giving the same message, because the Lord's message is pretty much the same throughout Scripture, right? Isaiah 55, it says in verse 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, it's talking about me. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. 
Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen to me carefully and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. In abundance. The abundant life. Notice again this this theme, twofold. This this invitation to come and partake of something that we did not prepare. Come and drink this wine. Come and eat this bread. Come and drink this milk. Come and sit at this table which has been prepared and spread out for you. It's all been provided. It's all been done already. In... um, Man, there's so many, so many great texts. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells the parable of, of a great supper. And in Luke 14, verse 15, it says, Now, when one of those who had sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, notice this, for all things are now ready. All things are now ready. In other words, the invitation to come into the kingdom, the invitation to come to Christ, is an invitation to partake of something that has already been prepared for you. Jesus Christ has done for the believer everything that is necessary for the believer's salvation in every regard. In every regard. Jesus Christ has propitiated the wrath of God, and therefore the believer is forgiven in God's sight. Jesus Christ has removed the condemnation of sin, therefore the believer stands in God's favor. Jesus Christ has removed the enmity between God and man. Therefore, the believer is now a friend of God, reconciled to him. Jesus Christ has removed the curse of death by his resurrection, and he's given new life through regeneration to the believer. The believer is now alive to God. Jesus Christ has conquered the power of sin... And he has now liberated his people through redemption. And they are no longer slaves of sin and Satan. I only, I don't hear any amens. Jesus Christ has chosen his people. And therefore they are no longer strangers. And they are no longer aimless. But they now have a divine purpose for time and for eternity. Jesus Christ has conquered the power of death through his resurrection and therefore his people are now set free from sin and they are sanctified from the power of sin. Jesus Christ has, has predestinated his people, therefore they are no longer lost. They, they now have security in him that they will one day stand before God in heaven. Jesus Christ has through His atoning work, given us sonship with God. Therefore, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are now members of the household of God because we have been adopted. 
Jesus Christ, because of his complete and full work on the cross and through his resurrection, someday will remove the very presence of sin and we will be glorified in heaven forever, bearing his perfect image. Everything that we need and everything that we could ever desire has been provided for us by the Lord Jesus Christ through His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension. Everything. And this is the thing we must understand. Everything. There is a great table spread for God's people. And I'm not talking about the marriage feast of the Lamb in the future. I'm talking about the table of God now. In this life, there is a great table spread for us. It is symbolized by what we call the Lord's table or the communion table, but those are symbols. The reality is that there is a table, there is now a meeting place between God and man, which has been purchased by Jesus Christ, and everything that we need for life and godliness has been provided. It is on the table. It is on the table. So God has provided a feast for us with and through His Son Jesus. And on that table there is grace. And on that table there is strength. And on that table there is wisdom. And on that table there is power. And on that table there are gifts of the Spirit. And on that table there is the fruit of the Spirit. And on that table there is holiness. Everything the believer could ever desire has been put on the table to receive. Purchased by the blood of Jesus. Come, come for all things are now ready. Not some things. Come for all things are now ready. Thank you, Jesus. Everything we could ever need and desire has been, has been provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, as we know from experience, it seems that some Christians partake more of that table than others, right? Why is that? Well, when you, when you look at the, the text in Proverbs and you look at the text in Isaiah, what we see is that the invitation to partake of this provision, of this abundant life that God has. The invitation is to all. However, it's qualified by one simple fact. And that qualification is, the invitation is limited to those who understand their need. So when Isaiah says, Come, you who are thirsty... Why would I go to get a drink if I'm not thirsty? Come, those of you who are hungry. Well, if I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat, right? In Proverbs, when wisdom says, I've made everything ready. Come, you simple. Meaning, you who are humble enough to see your need for my provision. You're you're invited. All are invited, but all do not come. And I'm not talking about the unbeliever that doesn't come to Christ. I'm talking about the believer that doesn't come to Christ. You see, the believer 
must understand that everything they need is in and through Jesus Christ. Because it is so easy for us to attempt to get our needs met at other tables. It's easy to drink from other cisterns and other fountains. And we think that the solution is somehow somewhere other than Jesus Christ. But what we see in Scripture, especially Ephesians 1, but Colossians also, and and just the entire teaching of Scripture, is that every blessing that God desires to give to the believer is in and through Jesus Christ. As Jeremiah says, God's people in his day were drinking from broken cisterns. You have a broken cistern, you get dirty water. They were, they were drinking from the wrong fountain, the wrong source, the, the, the thing that would not ultimately quench their thirst. How many of you have seen the movie Unbroken? That's all. Wow. There's a, a long scene in the movie where several men are in a, in a raft in the ocean. And you think, well, how can anybody die of thirst in the ocean, surrounded by all that water, right? That's the problem. There's salt in that water. So you have all of this water, but the water cannot be taken safely because it has too much salt in it. And if you drink salt water, too much of it, it will kill you. It actually makes you more thirsty because there's so much salt in it. And then you drink more and it kills you. There's a vast ocean out there of alternatives to Jesus Christ. Some of them are in the world, if you will. Some of them are even in the church. And so we're offered remedies and cures and means of happiness and integration and fulfillment apart from God's provision of Jesus Christ. Only those who truly understand their need for Jesus will come to His table. And I have found over the years, and this is no compliment to God at all, but it's true that very often we only end up at God's table out of necessity. That so often, because of our human nature being what it is, we try to find some way on our own to fix things. When you read the book of Romans, you'll notice that in the book of Romans, I'd love to walk you through it, we don't have time. But in the book of Romans, Paul tells us in the first five chapters of Romans that we're, we're totally saved by God's grace. That we're justified, we are redeemed, we are reconciled. Man, our salvation is done. It's complete. Romans 6, he says, you are dead to sin. Man, it's like awesome. And then all of a sudden you read Romans 7, you're like, what's going on here? This guy is struggling. What's the problem? Because Romans 7, I mean, it looks like it's negating everything he said in the first six chapters. It's not negating it. It is true. Our salvation in Jesus Christ is complete. It's true. It's established. It's it's done. 
Romans 7 is the Christian, I believe, not the unbeliever, but the Christian who's attempting to live the Christian life in his own power. He's attempting to, to, to live in victory over sin. He's attempting to fulfill the requirement of the law in his own power. And that leads to failure and frustration. That's why at the very end of Romans 7, what does he say? He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? In other words, he attempts to keep the law, he attempts to be obedient, and what he finds out is that the more he strives to do, the more he fails. What I would do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. That is the Christian living without the provision of the gospel. Some of you might feel like you're in that chapter. I think some Christians stop in that chapter. I think there are Christians who walk away from the faith because of that chapter. Because that's their experience. And they say, if this is Christianity, I don't want it. That is not Christianity. That is human religion. Christianity is chapter 8 of Romans. Christianity is the righteous requirements of the law being fulfilled in us through the spirit of life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that makes real in our experience everything that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. Everything. So, Jesus and everything that he did becomes experientially ours... Not positionally ours, because it's ours if we truly believe in Him. But it becomes experientially ours through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. And He makes these things real to us. But as we see in 7, there's this struggle, there's this, this, this attempt by self-will to be what a Christian is called to be. But it ends in futility every time. Because we cannot conquer sin. We cannot conquer the world. We cannot conquer the devil in our own power. We can only walk in victory and power through Jesus Christ and His Spirit in us. Do you understand? We are utterly, utterly, utterly dependent on Christ and His Spirit. And for some of us, getting to that place takes years and years and years. Because we think we've got it together. We think we can manage our spiritual life. We, we think we can do this thing called Christianity. And then all of a sudden, God throws something in your life. A physical sickness, financial trouble, relational difficulties vast array of things, and all of a sudden you, you, you will find out. You will find out. If we're truly standing on Christ, walking in Christ, being filled with Christ, or if we're just living out Christianity without the power of it, you see. There's an abundance that God wants to give each one of us. And it's really a gift. 
It's really a gift. But we have to receive it. You know, I was thinking about how wonderful my wife, what a great cook she is. You can tell by how how big I am. So, you know, when she makes one of her famous Thanksgiving dinners, you know, we got turkey there and we got mashed potatoes and we got croissant rolls and we got uh, uh, green bean casserole and we got cranberry casserole. And are you guys getting hungry now? All this amazing stuff. So, you know, imagine we're, we're having, we're preparing this dinner and I say to you, hey, why don't you come on over? Come on over for Thanksgiving and enjoy this wonderful spread my wife put out. And you say, okay, and you come over and you sit down and we, we say grace and we all start eating and you just sit there. I'm like, hey, feast, feast. Okay, you take a bite. Everything's prepared. Everything's laid out. Everything is there for the taking. But you have to take it. So when the scripture says that we're complete in Jesus, I think it's possible we hear that sometimes and we turn it into something passive. Oh, I'm complete in Jesus, so I guess I'll just wait for things to happen somehow and I'll see what it means to be complete. But that's not how it works. The meal's prepared. The feast is on the table. But you have to eat it. You have to eat it. You know, when God when God uh, called Israel to take the promised land, you know, they sent the spies in. You know the story, right? The spies come back and two of them said, let's go do this thing. And uh, you know, a bunch of them were like, oh no, we can't do it. They're big. They're going to they're gonna beat us up. They're big. You know what? The moment God told them to go into the land, the moment he told them, their victory was guaranteed. His word and promise guaranteed their victory. But they weren't victorious, were they? Why? Because they weren't even willing to engage in the battle. You know, you can't have victory if you don't fight. You can't win if you, you, you don't compete. You can't have fruit if you don't labor on the farm. You can't partake of the abundance of Jesus if you don't eat and drink. You know what I'm saying? So, the provision is sufficient, and not only sufficient, I would say it is more than sufficient. Because it's exceedingly abundantly above what we can think or ask. Let me me just tell you, the Christian life that God wants us to walk in is, is beyond what many of us can even imagine. You know, we read about people like, the, you know, what Wesley did or, you know, what, you know, we, we talked about Mueller last week at church, George Mueller, you know, these super saints. We said, wow, that's cool. And we admire, we admire. And we admire them. But it's not really them, it's God. You know, Spurgeon, you know Spurgeon? You all know Spurgeon, right? If you don't know Spurgeon, read a Spurgeon book. I think there's some back there. Greg was reading Spurgeon this morning. One of the greatest, some consider maybe the, one of the greatest preachers. He led hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus through his, his sermons. Amazing. 
Amazing ministry. You know what he used to say? He said, the same spirit that was in the Apostle Paul is in me. And he believed it. You see, he believed it. The same spirit that was in Spurgeon is in us. The same spirit that was in George Mueller is in us. Are you hearing me? Let's hear some amens. The same spirit in Luther or Calvin or Wesley or Moody or, or any of the men that moved nations, that spirit is in God's people today. Only one Holy Spirit. Only one. Same spirit. So why do we see some Christians abounding? And we see others that are walking in defeat and failure? It is not because God has failed. I want to say this very clearly. There are some Christians which are saying by their life, by their life, not, they might not say it with their lips, but by their life they are saying God is a failure. Because they're living in defeat, they are saying by their life the gospel is false. That's what their life is saying. Not their lips, but their life is preaching a false gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that brings power into your life. The gospel brings transformation into your life. That means the gospel brings victory into your life. That means the gospel gives you power to serve, power to walk, power to live, power to love. And when I hear Christians say, I can't, Please understand, if you say, I can't, you are denying the gospel. Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can through Jesus Christ. I can through the Holy Spirit. And when we say, I can't, or we can't, that we are denying the gospel no matter what we might say in our theology. Paul came to Corinth and he said, friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not in words, it is in power. The gospel changes people's lives. And that change is a good change. It is a change from defeat to victory. It is a change from sin to holiness. It is a, a, a change from alienation and hate and strife to love and peace. That's what the gospel does. And there is no excuse for us to walk in defeat. There is no reason any professing Christian should be in bondage to sin or to Satan or the world. Because the provision has been made. The table is full. The work has been done. So it's time to take it. It's time to take a bite. Some of, some of us have been nibbling, little nibble on Jesus. Little nibble on that cracker Jesus. My Jesus is a whole honking turkey. You eat the whole thing. You eat it all. Right? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He didn't say, I am the crumb. He didn't say that. 
Now you're laughing at that, but actually when you read, when you read the, when the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus and she wanted Jesus to, to do a healing for her, he said, I'm not going to give the children's bread uh, to, to, to the dogs. She says, but the dogs eat the crumbs. Great answer, isn't it? And you know what? The, the crumbs healed her daughter. Well, if the crumbs can do that, just think what the bread can do. Jesus is the bread of life. Did my thing go out? What happened? It fell. All right, coming back. All right, we back. Jesus said that he was the bread of life. What do you do with bread? Do you talk about it? Do you write songs to it? Do you sing to your loaf of bread in the morning? I love you, bread. You are so crusty. I love the smell when it's toasted. I like to put butter on my toast in the morning. I love bread. I love bread. Love you, bread. Now, if you want to do that, that's cool. I mean... That's kind of what my daughter does with coffee. I love coffee. I love coffee. That's what Austin does with coffee. These guys worship coffee. Okay. Now, if you want to sing to your bread, that's cool. But I can can tell you this. If you you want to get sustenance from the bread, you got to eat it. And we were singing to Jesus tonight, you know. We're singing to the bread. But how many of us took a bite during worship? Cindy took a bite. No, I'm serious. I'm dead serious because some of you didn't take a bite. Jesus is food for the soul, man. Not the soul man, but for the soul, man. Well, for the soul man too. Okay, Jesus is our sustenance. He is our Bread, He is our power. He is our life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I I like to worship Jesus, don't you? I like to do it. I enjoy it. I enjoy the music. I enjoy singing. That's all awesome. But if I don't partake of the reality of what I'm saying in the words, it's all vain. It's vain worship. It doesn't please God and it doesn't bless me. Okay? We need to understand that the provision, the provision that we have in Jesus Christ has to be taken by us. The food has to be eaten. The wine and the milk that's talked about has to be drunk. We must do this and we do it first of all by faith. We enter in by faith. The faith that saves you, you listening? I mean, I don't know when you got saved, but I remember when I got saved. The faith that saves you, or that saved you, the moment you believed and were truly regenerated, that faith is the same faith you need tonight. Paul, Paul rebuked the Galatians and he said this. He said, because they, they clearly misunderstood. He says, in Galatians 3, he says, uh, Oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? This only what I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Tell me. By faith. You heard the gospel and when you believed, that is by faith, you received the Spirit. 
You're born again. You receive the Spirit by faith. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? You begin in the Spirit and then you become mature by the flesh? No. You begin in the Spirit. You grow in the Spirit. You continue in the Spirit. You receive the Spirit by faith. You walk by faith. As you have received the Lord Jesus, so walk in Him, it says in Colossians. You walk by faith. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does He do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He does it by our faith. You receive the Spirit by faith. The, the, the power you need in your Christian life is received by faith. The victory you need over sin is by faith. The healing you need in your body, it is received by faith. The financial solution you need is by faith. The relational healing is by faith. Are you hearing me? It is by faith. You must believe. We can sing these songs or we can quote these verses and we can do it without any faith at all. And that's why it does not benefit us at all. Because unless the word is mixed with faith, it profits us nothing. Nothing. That's why you can have two Christians go to the same church, who read the same Bible, who are the same preacher, and one prospers and the other is defeated. Because one is taking hold of the word by faith and the other is not. They are not believing. And I know it sounds like a contradiction term for, for a Christian not to believe because we call Christians believers. But I see it all the time. An unbelieving believer is a tragedy because it is like a starving child sitting at a table filled with a feast. And many in our churches are starving. And it's unfortunate. In some cases, it's because food is not being put out for them. But in other cases, it's because the food that is put out is not being received by faith. Well, this weekend, you're going to hear about different aspects of the Christian life. And we're going to, going to talk about abounding. And I would encourage you to, to do a word study on the word abound or abounding. Or the word grow, or the word fruitful. And you'll be surprised how these words are used regarding the Christian life in Scripture. The Christian life in Scripture, and not according to modern evangelicalism, the Christian life in Scripture is a life of fruitfulness and growth. Fruitfulness and growth. In other words, in Scripture what we see is we see that the Christian is someone who abounds in love. They don't just love, they abound in love. Not a little love, but a lot of love. They abound in righteousness. They abound in the work of the Lord. We see that they abound in thanksgiving, that they abound in liberality, that they abound in godliness, that they are fruitful in every good work, that they are fruitful in spiritual knowledge and wisdom. In other words, the Christian life, as it's described in the Bible, is a life of profound fullness, blessing, and abounding. Now, that's the life I want. How about you? You want that? I mean, do you really want it? Yes. Do you even believe you can have it? Yes. Well, then you need to take it.
Because wisdom says it's all prepared. Jesus said the work has been done. I give my sheep an abundant life. We must take it by faith. Second thing we must do is we must take it through our diligence and private devotion. Private devotion. We must be people of the word. I don't know how many times I've said this, but we must be people who are reading and meditating on the scripture daily. Some of you don't read your Bibles. I'm going to be real frank, okay? You're not reading your Bible, and if you read it, you read very little of it. And if you're not reading your Bible, you're not feeding on Jesus Christ. Some of you are don't have a prayer life. I remember talking to a guy who's who, and I asked him about his. He's having major marriage problems and all this stuff. And I said, "Okay, well, tell me about your, you know, walk with the Lord. Tell me about your prayer life, or talk 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 to me about your time in the Word." Well, you know, I don't really read much because reading's hard for me. Okay. Well, tell me about your prayer life. Well, um, I pray in the car. And he, he really labored hard to convince me how great his prayer life was because he prayed in the car. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, a, you know, um, this 15-minute thing you do in the morning where you read a couple verses or and then you say a couple prayers in the car. I'm not, that's not what private devotions are, friend. Private devotions are going into the closet, Jesus said, a private, secure place, closing the door, and spending time with your Father. Time. Time. You understand what I mean by time? Okay. Now, um, I'll, I'll bring it out later. I, I meant to bring it out, but, but Olivia, Stefan Olivia got me a Christmas present, and it's an hourglass. I told you about that, right? Awesome. I'll show it to you later. You should all get one. What you should do is you should go in your closet, go in whatever private space you have, turn your thing over, and begin to pray. Can you pray for an hour? Can you read your Bible for an hour? We, we listen, the Word of God is so foundational to, to us experiencing the reality and receiving the things that Christ has purchased for us. It is so foundational that if we are not literally in the Word, reading, meditating, and studying the Word in depth, then we will never be eating the fruit that's laid on the table. It will not happen. And you can try all kinds of other tricks. It will not happen. I'm just telling you. We've got to be people who are in the Word. When you read the Word, it it transforms your mind, it gladdens your heart, it strengthens your will, it converts your soul. The Word does so much. And the, the, the coolest thing about the Word is you hear God speak to you. You hear God speak to you. George Mueller again. He's a man who's known for prayer, believing prayer, right? You know what he said? He said, I can't pray until I read my Bible. He needed to meditate on the Word. And his prayer life was a product of his response to what God was saying in his Word. And the man moved mountains by his, his, 
his believing prayers. But it was a product of what the Scripture was doing in his heart. The Word, I mean, the word is just wonderful. The Word is food for our soul. Amen. Um, if you can, you know, watch a ball game for three hours, you can read the Bible for three hours. If you can watch a movie for two hours, you can read your Bible for two hours. If you can watch your whatever you do, you can pray for an hour or two. You can do this. You can do this. If you want to. If you want to. Because as the as the uh, rich man said, come, everything's ready. It's all on the table. Come and get it. If you want it. And you know what's amazing about that parable? It goes on and it says, well, they made this excuse and didn't come. They made that excuse and didn't come. I got to tend to this. I got a wife. I got cattle. I got this. I got that. And I can't come. What's your excuse? God wants you to have abundance. But you have to sit at his table. That means you have to learn to come into his presence. Open your Bible. Meditate, pray, and learn to sit there with him. Now, can you imagine if you went to somebody's house for Thanksgiving and the food was there, you ran up to the table and ran out the door. Well, thanks for dining with us. I mean, can you imagine how rude that would be? Right? Isn't that what we do with God? We run into it. Yeah, we eat and run. We run into his presence. Grab, run out. And then, okay, I have my devotion today, so I don't feel guilty. That's the sure, a sure way to have a lean soul. A lean soul. Well, God wants your soul, as he says in his word, he wants your soul to be fat. The soul of the diligent will be made fat. Those who are diligent in the word and diligent in prayer. It seems so elementary, but some of you are not doing it, no matter how many times I say it. So I guess I'll just keep on saying it. Agreeing with me isn't doing it. Did you hear what I said? You can agree with everything I'm saying tonight, but that's not doing it. Agreeing with me tonight isn't going to give you the abundance you want. Agreeing isn't going to give you the victory you want. What will give you the abundance and give you the the victory is the doing of it, not the agreeing with it. The doing of it. I, I got a whole bunch more to say, but my time's up. Let's stand and we're going to pray and then hands are going to come and share about worship. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you, God. You are El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Every need of your people, every want of your people has been met in your Son. Oh, Lord, how we slight him when we look elsewhere. How we dishonor him when we do not seek our remedy and help in him. Forgive us for that. 
And I pray, Lord, for each one of us that we would truly strive to partake of the feast that you've given us, the abundance that, that you have provided for us, and not even because we want it as much as because we want to preach the gospel with our lives. We want, we want you to be honored. And being defeated doesn't honor you. Being mediocre doesn't honor you, Jesus. We want you to be honored. I pray that, Lord, everyone here would make a decision tonight to truly surrender to the calling of being a Christian. They would truly surrender to what your spirits do. I know your spirit's faithful. I know you're faithful, God. I know you speak to your people. I know you convict your people. I know you draw them. But God, we can be so stiff-necked. Forgive us for that, Lord. And I pray that we would respond. We would submit to what you are trying to do. You're trying to give us victory. And I pray for repentance. For those who are in unbelief, they don't, they don't believe you can give them victory. They keep on saying, I can't. Or it's not possible. Or it'll never happen. Lord, your word says, with you all things are possible. You take the weak things and the foolish things and the things that do not even exist and you confound the strong and the wise because that brings you so much more glory. Take our lives, God, and do something miraculous. Make us miracles for your glory. I thank you that you are able and you never fail. You never fail. You never fail. In Jesus' name, amen.